Hey everyone, it's uh, late night shenanigans again on a Sunday. Uh, I'm just I'm pulling the uh, pump up the volume, the Happy Harry Hard on. Just sometimes he shows up, sometimes he doesn't. Um, so we had kind of a, a fun time. I think it was the last week or two weeks ago that we did this. So I thought I would just jump on, do a uh, episode thirty, getting the week started off all wrong. Uh, looking back on some things that went wrong this past week in both media and as it uh, goes through culture politics, as well as looking ahead to the things that will absolutely probably go wrong this week. Uh, I am Stephen L. Miller's Versus Media Live uh, on Colin. Um, probably go for about an hour, uh, depending on who's, who wants to speak or who doesn't want to speak. Uh, probably go just an hour tonight, hard out. Uh, I know I always say that, and then we end up going the length of Lawrence of Arabia or whatever. Uh, but we all have shit to do tomorrow. Uh, most of all, least of all me. Uh, the, the one interesting thing I wanted to start off with before jumping into any callers uh, was Paul Krugman today uh, had an interesting appearance on CNN's Reliable Sources with Brian Stelter, everybody's favorite. Um, Brian's been quiet as of late, and I don't know if that has to do with the report from Charles Gasparino from Fox that he's on the outs one way or the other, but uh, Brian hasn't been making too many waves lately, and therefore his name hasn't really been popping up too much. But he fell right back into his act today, uh, as, I, as I deemed him the media's janitor, which is pretty much his only job. He had Paul Krugman on who to, to talk about the recession and if we're in one, and if not, and what, whatever else. And Paul dropped some absolute bangers today. And I thought I would get us started with some of this stuff. Because I'm live, I, I could play audio clips, but they would just come through like I'm, you know, a crazy boomer holding my phone up to, like, the computer. Can you hear this? So I'm going to just kind of read some quotes off. Um, as you know, Krugman has kind of been the number one cheerleader for the Biden administration on, on getting out in front of what is or what is not defined a recession. Uh, there's several clips of Pelosi, Brian Deese, Biden's economic advisor, Bill Clinton, uh, Ben White from Politico, all of these guys who uh, have previously defined a recession as two negative quarters of GDP growth or negative GDP growth. And Krugman's out here saying, well, no, that's not the case. Well, somebody also found Krugman had labeled that a recession. He was talking about Japan's economy in November of 2020. What changed? I don't know. One pretty obvious thing changed. Um, and so all of these guys who have been around for forever, who are now just re redefining this and trying to use a post-COVID world, are, are stumbling over themselves a little bit. And they think that we're too stupid to notice. So Stelter uh, asked Krugman, can we dispense with the recession debate? Are we in a recession and does the term matter? Uh, suddenly, it's interesting to me that that even has to be a question from somebody in our media. Uh, Vox Media used to be big to do, paid by GE, NBC Universal, is home to Ezra Klein, Matt Iglesias, a few others, Max Fisher, uh, laid off 40 employees this week citing cutbacks and financial cutbacks and all of the stuff that we're seeing happening in media. The funniest thing is Vox did unionize back in June. So this, this tale is old as time. And Brian Seltzer wouldn't talk about the fact that this, this once, you know, huge up to do media company that, you know, they got interviews with presidents and stuff is now just laying off everybody, but Ian Milheiser 
who I think is the only guy just swiveling around the office in his chair by himself. So he went ahead and ignored that story to talk to Krugman. And <laughs> that's the, that's the puffs. Um, asking if, does it even matter? Does the term recession even matter anymore? Why are we arguing over this? Krugman's uh, simple answer was, no, we are not, and no, the term doesn't matter. Uh, that's news to, I think, a several few hundred thousand million people in this country. Krugman, go- <laughs> Krugman goes on to ask, if you, if you ask people, how are you doing? They're pretty upbeat. And if you ask, how is your financial situation? It's favorable. If you ask them, how is the economy? Oh, it's terrible. And he says that's a media failing. And the first thing I thought when I read this was, that's Paul Krugman, the guy notorious for hanging out at the Conoco or the 7-Eleven parking lot asking people how they're doing or hanging out in the Walmart parking lot when people come out with groceries and going, hey, how's your grocery bill? Um, I found this beyond laughable. This is the same Krugman who didn't think the Black Lives Matter riots in New York and other cities were that bad because he couldn't see them when he walked outside of his own block. Uh, I don't know where Paul Krugman lives specifically, but I'm pretty sure it's on one of the upper sides of New York City. And so once you realize that, you realize Paul Krugman is not someone who's getting out of those cities to go talk to people, much like I think people like you, people that I talk to or some of us talk to when we do this. And I ask you, hey, how are things in your life? How's the baby formula? How's whatever? Um, I'm willing to pretty much, you know, bet a finger on it. Um, one of the other funny quotes in this was, quote, some of this stuff is clearly no economist could have forecast. He said, why I was wrong about inflation. Um, the funny thing about that piece was the New York Times did a whole series about what we got wrong. And almost none of them actually admit they got something wrong. They just went on to blame something else. And he says, some of it is clearly no economist could have forecasted. I didn't know Vladimir Putin was going to invade Ukraine. That's interesting because Sarah Palin knew he was going to do it in 2008 got that one wrong again. He said, external events, it does appear the U.S. economy is has similar productive cap- productive capacity than we thought. Well, that's, that's comforting. Uh, Krugman also wrote a piece called uh, the, the Dystopian Myths of Red America. He says, quote, the Black Lives Matter demonstrations, people thought Manhattan would burn to the ground. Yes, there was some arson and looting, but really not much for a country the size of the United States is not burned out shell. It never happened. Well, I I quoted this week because this is one of their favorite excuses to go to um, is that, you know, insurance covered this stuff and it, and it really wasn't as bad as people said they were and, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, first of all, you have to take into account that they blew off the public health experts to go out and protest. And this was after three, four months of everyone doing what we were told. And then, of course, George Floyd happens and the Lululemon you know, rich Upper West Side wine moms decided, hey, we're going to go get our protest on and use that as an excuse to finally get out of the house. But Axios reported it was a $1 billion plus riot damage is the most expensive in insurance history. And that doesn't account for businesses that didn't have insurance. That didn't account for small neighborhood businesses in Kenosha. Or as we can go back, we can go back to Ferguson. We can go back to some of these places where they were completely burned out and then the media just leaves them behind. It was basically one to two billion dollars in 2020 in riot damage alone. It was the costliest U.S. civil disorder uh, total in the history of this country. And here you have Paul Krugman going, well, I guess as long as the Zara is okay, um, 
one of the funny things as someone who I used to live in downtown Brooklyn and I, I moved out of downtown Brooklyn just prior to the pandemic. So I did not get that joy of banging pots and pans every night, but something that people I still know live there. And if you've seen, if you just, if you go down fifth Avenue, shit is still boarded up to this day. This is a city that still shuts down at midnight um, because they don't have enough workers to, to fill jobs. This is a city that is spiking in crime as are several uh, Soros DA run cities all over the country and no, that is not a conspiracy theory. And so again, he's Krugman is just, uh, just dropping banger after banger, uh, on Stelter show without Stelter issuing any correction or challenging him, which is kind of his gig, which is why he's labeled the media's janitor. Um, so that was kind of the fun thing that happened today on the Sunday shows. We also had John Carl, calling John Stewart our own Vladimir Zelensky and basically asking him if he would run for office. And whenever I see this kind of stuff, you know, Stewart's dishonesty over the PACT Act and the, the Fireburn Pitts bill and how that's gone through procedure back and forth, notwithstanding, uh, it always amazes me how we ended up at Donald Trump when, you know, every journalist in this country saw John Stewart and idolized him. That's, that's who they wanted to be. They wanted to be able to go on TV every night and do what John Stewart was doing. And what's also interesting is everyone who John Stewart hired, Stephen Colbert, Trevor Noah, Samantha Bee, uh, Jason Jones, those people, they all wanted to be journalists. And if you want a good flux moment in our country, when that line became blurred and the conditions became kind of ripe for someone like Donald Trump to seek the White House, you can, no, you can look no further than Jon Stewart, who has done more to really poison uh, our, our information discourse more than anybody else. And these are the people that want to lecture you about fake news and, and misinformation. And this is someone who, you know, puts his clown nose on, takes it off when he wants to be a comedian and then puts it back on when he wants to be serious and, you know, edit interviews and do as such. And everyone knows I had my own sort of run in with the daily show a few years ago with wonder woman. Um, and you have kind of our entire media still fangirling over him. And it, it, it is interesting to see when, you know, they're sit, they're out here ready to just bury the old man with two and a half years left in his term. And they're sitting here begging John Stewart to run for office. Um, it's, it's one of those crystallizing moments, not, not so different than like the one we saw, um, as I noted with, uh, Atlantic writer, Tom Nichols, you know, bragging that he's finally allowed in the Navy army Navy club and how great it is. And if it wasn't for Trump, he would have never met Peter Strzok. And here he is, he's in the club. And, uh, there, some, at times there's these real crystallized, you know, crystallizing crystal clear moments that show you just exactly what's important to a lot of these people. Um, the last thing that was on our radar was Nancy Pelosi's doing a uh, Asian trip, I guess, hooray, and was rumored to fly into Taiwan. Uh, a member of, Ty of China State Media had stated that should she f enter Taiwan airspace and attempt to land with fighter jet escorts, which I believe she has, they were going to shoot her plane out of the sky. And we got a big ho-hum to do about that from a lot of people in our media. Uh, I think you can look at it in a hedge and say, does this person speak for all of China? Well, he's Chinese state media, so he, he's not sharing thoughts that they don't approve of, or he would be disappeared somewhere very deep in the mountains of Xinjiang. Um, on the other hand, should the White House be, you know, 
responding to every single one of these, you know, stupid tweets? No, I don't think so. But if you are going to respond to it, maybe your answer shouldn't be, hey, Pelosi knows the risks. See ya. Which was basically the most like stunning bad answer I've seen a White House press secretary give to a to a question, obviously from Peter Ducey, uh about this, where she said they're not going to entertain hypotheticals, um, and just said, "Hey, the speaker, we, we don't comment on her schedule and whatever." They basically just hung her out there and said, "Hey, you know, bring your flares, I guess. Good luck. Let us know." Um, KGP had herself a banger last Friday as well with trying to answer, get around. The Biden administration completing sections of Trump's border wall as well, uh, which this this is low key one of my favorite things happening right now with uh, red state governors uh, busing migrants to bluer parts of the country, and we're learning they don't want them there. They want them here because no human is illegal, but they just don't want them there. And we all know the term for that, the NIMBYs. And uh, it's interesting to me, and whether these things are related or not, I don't care. I think it's funny that as soon as uh, migrants and undocumented immigrants begin getting dumped onto the Capitol stairs in Washington, D.C., all of a sudden Joe Biden's like, all right, build that part of the wall. <laughs> so this is it's low-key one of my favorite things happening right now um, with uh, this immigration debate that's happening. And, you're, and one of the other interesting things about this is, as I've said on my podcast, people like Eric Adams, Muriel Bowser, Karine Jean-Pierre, they could have they could have completely just neutered this argument from red state governors just by saying, yes, we'll take them. We want them here. We'll make space for them because that's what we do. And you're seeing the uh, exact complete uh, opposite of that. They're sitting here complaining that their social safety nets are, are strained and uh, we're calling up the troops all of a sudden. And you, you really do get an inkling when you see things like this about just how performative some of the outrage during Trump's term was. Uh, some of it, I would argue, wasn't performative. There's there's genuinely kind of nutso things he did, but then that was always hedged with these kinds of performative things, which is we have literal concentration camps on the border. To all of a sudden, we don't know what a border is, and oh by the way, we don't. We you need to take these people back to Texas or what have you. So, um, some fun events from this past week uh, that I've thrown out there. Uh, like I said, it's it's late Sunday night for all of you degenerates, uh, so you don't have to stay on that topic. It's kind of your show. I'm kind of hosting it here. Like I said, probably do a hard out um, at probably 11:30 Eastern. So and that and I don't see too many people up there. So if I, I'm not gonna like sit here and dance monkey for you guys. So if you're not gonna listen, then we'll, we'll call it early. Uh, but you have me. Uh, I'm up late. Uh, I'm still in a lot of pain. As some of you know, I'm I, seeing a personal trainer and I can't quite sit straight. It's pretty great. I feel like I rode a horse for 12 hours. Um, so we'll see We'll see if I'm in any better shape tomorrow night for a hockey game, which I'm not really looking forward to. Like I said, getting the week started off all wrong. And with that, let's actually start the show off right with Joseph. So, Joseph, we've missed you a couple episodes um it's it's glad that we could we put i actually just did this just to hope hoping that you would show up tonight so i'm glad that you did yeah you luckily caught me on one of the nights that i've not gone to bed or like a boomer so yeah it's good to talk to you again steven joseph what did you think about paul krugman on on reliable sources are you are you a regular reliable sources viewer joseph uh no not unless a clip will show up on my timeline Either quote tweeted by you, 
comfortably smug or somebody that you should follow from the right. And Joseph, what, what are some of the thoughts you think about um, what Krugman said about recession, economy? Um, has, has Paul Krugman come and talk to you about how you're doing? And are you pretty upbeat about the economy? Maybe that should be the question of the night. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't even think uh, Paul Krugman knows who I am. And I didn't get to see the full comment, but I always know that Paul Krugman's a hack. And just to see the little bit that, like, he admitted, like, well, tacitly, I should say, admitted that, oh, actually wrong about, like, inflation. And sign myself, I'm like, kiss my ass. You can go fuck off the fucking pier. But, no, I don't feel comfortable about the economy. It's nice that gas is going down, but the problem is that we're already headed, like, towards a recession. And this is, like, the one recession that I'm actually aware of because the 2008 recession happened, ironically, when I was eight years old. So this is pretty much like I'm like experiencing like my first recession as an adult. Oh, oh no, no, this, this Phil is not yet 2008. That uh, 2008 was everyone's bank just disappeared in, in overnight. Like m- my actual bank became a different bank overnight, um, uh, which was, you. which was just crazy. That, that was, that was the real shit. I th- the funny thing I thought was interesting about Krugman is he signaled back in 2019 that we were headed for a recession, as did a lot of people before COVID hit. Uh, they were they were showing all these early warning signs that the, the economy is headed for recession. Um, you know, things are slowing. Growth is finally slowing after record growth. Um, you can thank Trump for that or not. I don't, I don't care. I don't know. Um, and right before COVID, they all were starting to signal a recession. Like, oh, we're slowing down. It's whatever. And then the question I asked, and I'm sure that there's people who are better versed in, you know, Wall Street market economies than I am, yeah. is why was it a recession in 2019, but it isn't one now? This is what I don't, uh, this is, again, this kind of exposes the, the, the kind of the pure, like you call it, hackery of these guys. And I, I look at this and I say, you know, here, here's someone like Stelter who could have said to Paul Krugman, hey, here's what you wrote in 2020 where about Japan's economy slowing down into a recession. And what made you change your mind now? And, of course, that's that's why Brian is one of the most shameless people on all of media and all of television and can, can't draw, you know, more than a couple thousand homeless tent cities to, to watch his show. Yeah. And I think that that's the question that I would ask Krugman if he was here. And you're talking about a guy who operates in false equivalencies. As he said, you know, he, he measures damage done by the 2020 riots based on how big the country is. <laughs> I'm oh, thinking, I'm thinking, well, yes, people weren't rioting in Yellowstone Park. OK, they were they were rioting in metropolitan areas, poor urban areas. And again, one of the excuses that we heard from people like Nicole Hannah-Jones was the, the riot is the language of the unheard. And these companies have insurance. Who cares? And, and we didn't we didn't hear about the small businesses that were burned to the ground. We don't we don't hear from about these people. We, these people are never revisited in Kenosha or um, some of these other places where a few of these other incidences happened in Baltimore or Ferguson. We don't hear about these people. They're used as props and then they, you know, they move on and the reporters that cover them go on to spectacular celebrity careers. Yeah. Um, even going back to the riot thing, well, to the rioting thing is that even if some of these 
say smaller businesses had insurance, that insurance is not enough to cover the damages to like even repair their shops. Like it's one thing if say like, you know, corporate or corporate chain, say like either like Walmart or Target gets burned down. A little mom and pop shop gets burned down. They're fucked. And they're more or less like forced to like just board up the place and just move away somewhere else safer. How we end up with, it's how we ended up with rooftop Koreans basically. Yeah, practically. We'll call it Rittenhouse if you want to be cute. Yeah, that one too. <laughs> uh, Joseph, what else is on your mind? I'll give you. I'll give you one more. Uh, I'll give you one more thing to dazzle the room before moving on. What do you? Do? Uh, what do you think about that Vogue cover with Zelensky and his wife? Uh, I don't really care about Zelensky. I saw. A, I saw criticism of it, and I thought it was kind of dumb. I don't really care so much about Zelensky in this scenario. I yeah. care that our media and, like, celebrities have turned him into, like, a safari trip. So you have, like, Pierce Morgan visiting. Ben Stiller is visiting him. Yeah. Like, celebrities turned it into, like, a ribbon. Like, it's, it's you know, we're going to get on a plane. We're going to brave into Kiev and... um we're going to, uh, I'm, I'm, pu- I'm trying to pull up this, um, celebrities villas. Cause I know it's been a ton of people, um, that that's gone and visited him. And like, even, yeah. even the New York times calls him a wartime celebrity leader. Oh, Angelina Jolie was, was another one. Um, and they <laughs> yeah. all, they all fly in there and they get their photo op. And then he, what, what show did he speak at? Was it the M it was the Grammys or the <laughs> Emmys or the MTV <laughs> awards or some shit. I think it was the Grammys. Um, and, and the, you know, they wanted to give him an Oscar. And it's fucking weird to me that these people, you know, like Ukraine villages are getting shelled by Russia. And these people are just kind of like getting a photo op with Zelensky as, like I said, it's like a safari. It's like they, they get on their plane and they're making arrangements and, you know, I don't really fault Zelensky too much. He's trying to show Russia and the world that he has support of very important people or what have you. And, you know, he's a guy in a tough spot. So I don't really yeah. criticize him in this case. But, like, once, like, Jolie and Ben Stiller started going to visit him, it turned into, like, the celebrity thing to do. Yeah. And I'm just like, this. how do you fucking people turn shelling Ukrainian villages into a, something about yourselves. Like that's Hollywood can, that's the best thing they're good at is just making every single fucking thing about them. And so, and then of course, Ann Leibovitz doing the, the Vogue shoot. It's like I said, it causes so much credibility to that industry to try and glamorize what's happening over there. And, you, you, you're going to run into a messaging problem because for every clip that we see of like somebody shot on a park bench or a mass grave, there's, you know, somebody with bigger names turning him into a photo op or a luxury spread through Vogue magazine. And yeah. when you do that, the message of what's happening over there kind of gets lost. So I, I saw the, I, I saw, I read a lot of comments about it and some of the outrage over it. And some of it, I'm like, eh, a lot of it, again, I'm like, if I'm in his position, I'm I'm doing whatever I can do to get the word out about this shit and what's happening. And he's trying to obviously get money from NATO and from the U.S. to keep this, you know, to keep Russia at bay as long as possible. 
Um, I don't know how much of a taste this country has left for it. Uh, if we're still doing this in two years, I think a real debate question for Republicans and maybe Democrats is how long do you plan on keep funding going for the war in Ukraine? I don't have a position on it. Um, I, I view everything about it's funny how like everything has moved on from Ukraine. Like it was the thing for a couple of weeks and then Roe happened and now nobody's talking about it. no one's barely even covering it anymore. And it's still going on. If you if you want information, I the the funniest thing about this, one of the arguments against gatekeeper media is um if you want information about Ukraine, you need to go to Twitter, you need to go to Telegram, you need to go to social media accounts. And there you can see footage from what's happening on the ground in there. And some of it's not very pleasant, uh, forewarned. Um, but if you turn on NBC, CBS, ABC, it's gone. It's, it's off of CNN. Maybe Jake Tapper covers it once in a while. Um, and that's kind of what I mean is the celebrity thing has overtaken it. And like I said, you have John Carl now saying to John Street, you know, you could be our Zelensky. <laughs> And it's just, it, it completely trivializes the actual horror and the struggle of what's going on over there. And when celebrities are making this all about them and they're trying to do that and they're trying to celebritize this guy and whatever, um, it really, I think, devalues his message and, and what's going on over there. I, I think, you know, like I said, I don't necessarily blame him. If it were me, I'd probably be like, Ben, I love you. Tropic Thunder was great. But holy shit, I'm dodging fucking missiles at the moment. So this isn't a good time. Can you maybe can you maybe come back when this is solved? If I'm still alive, that would be great. Um, but I don't really fault him for maximizing exposure and trying to keep his face out there as a reminder of, oh hey, yeah, this is still going on. I know I know you've moved on to like you know Will Smith slapping Chris Rock for the fifth time, but hey, we're still we're still over here. So yeah. no, I I don't. I don't look at it as a fault on his part, but I do, I, I look at it with our media and I look at, it especially with celebrities who are just like, this is about us. And jo- Angelina Jolie's getting a photo with him so she can put on her mantle and Ben Siller's doing it so he could put it on, you know, Hey, I'm important. I'm doing this. And, um, someone even suggested like, here's the actor who's going to play him in the movie. And it's like, are you fucking people out of your minds? Like you're talking about making a movie like this dude could be fucking killed at any second. And he had to fire security staff because there was like a mutiny. And I'm just sitting here watching this. And it reminds me of like, if if we're talking about how Hollywood makes things about them, Oliver Stone's natural born killers was all about this. It was all about, you know, how, media in our country, you know, celebritizes the most horrific events and the horrific things happening, whether it's OJ Simpson or Nancy Kerrigan or John Bonet Ramsey or uh who is who is who is the Joey Buttafuco, whatever her name was. Um they they celebritize and trivialize the most horrific events and that's kind of what's happening with U- Ukraine. Um, so yeah, I don't blame him in this. I, I would be doing everything I could to maximize exposure. Um, but just how, like I said, they've turned fucking Ukraine into like celebrity safari for a photo op. If I'm Zelensky, I'm charging him. I'm telling Ben Stiller, you're either giving me $5 million so I can buy like food and guns, or we're going full three amigos and you're going to bring me an airplane full of guns. And then I'll give you your photo op. That's kind of the other way I would handle it. Yeah. Uh, that's all I have for tonight. Hope you have a great Go night. Go to bed, Joseph. Enjoy Jesus. <laughs> God. All right, Captain. <laughs> Jeez.
speaking of other dregs, Matt in, Matt in uh, I'm going to say Jersey, even though I know he's in Massachusetts. I just like fucking with him. What's going on, Matt? Somerset, where the uh, Biden uh, caravan was a couple weeks ago. And uh, I was actually surprised that morning I drove, woke up, and there's a bunch of like dark SUVs at the end of my driveway blocking it for some reason. Oh, cool. Check Twitter, and I go, oh, okay, that's the reason. Um, but I was uh, – part of the reason I was calling in tonight, because I'm up still. I've got a golf tournament tomorrow morning, so i got nothing else to do. Um, the recession redefining – I thought that was going to get to me last week. Um but actually the build the wall or to clean up the prior administration's mess, that one kind of bothered me the most. But um, my uh, takeaway on the redefining of the recession, the word recession, uh, is this. And it obviously is intentional to help the Biden administration not look like they're in a recession. Um, and I think one of your callers last call in had a really good uh, analysis and explanation of why we're in one and how it's going to get worse. But my real takeaway is, is the reason they're not saying they're in a recession is, is this. Whoever's advising him is their position in this fall and in 2024 is that the last four recessions, 2020, 2008, 2001, and I might be miss, uh, and then 1991, all of those recessions were either deliberately caused or on the watch of a Republican. So I think long term, like the long game with this, with the Democrats, is that they're going to say recessions. Oh, yeah. Republicans get us into recessions and they cannot define this one as a recession because then that would be Biden's fault. And what they're going to do at some point, whether it's this year or in 2024, is say, Anytime we end up in a recession, it's Republicans. And here are other times. And all of those are quite arguable. The 2008 was arguably a recession caused a lot by Bill Clinton's policies, um, namely his one that basically drove people to give shitty loans to people that couldn't afford yeah, them. Yeah, the housing, um, the, uh, the affordable Yeah, the housing, Community Redevelopment the Act. Community Housing Redevelopment Act, whatever, of 2000 and whatever year that was. Yeah. Pretty much gave lenders the, the say-so to go ahead and give any shitty loan to any high-risk individual, and we all saw how that one played out. We can, Yeah, you can go through them all. I mean, they're, it's debatable, but, like, you know, um, quite debatable. But, like, so I think that's I think that's lo- the long game of, of what's going on here, and I'm not, like, some savant or political, you know, that that's just my takeaway. I think, like, it's to help Biden, obviously, but people could sit here and say, hey, yeah, we do feel like we're in a session. But I think their long-term message strategically when it comes to campaigning and how bad the Republican Party is and how terrible we are, because you always hear Biden say, trickle-down economy or trickle-down economics, that doesn't work. I don't want to hear that anymore. He always, It's just like one of his like canned lines. Um, so I think Yeah, like, and that's people ask about that because no one really talks about trickle-down anymore. And uh, I was talking with someone about this, and this is just how Biden talks because he's from the fucking 70s and the 80s. Like the fact that he is still just referencing Ronald Reagan uh, is probably has to do with him trying to do memory recall for his dementia rattled applesauce jar brain. Uh, But it is funny, like when he reaches back and he starts, you know, talking like Ronald Reagan is the current thing of the Republican Party. And you're just kind of like, 
This is this is like when old people, t- you know, talk to people that have been dead for 40 years and you go, Gamma, who are you talking to? Oh, that just saw it over there. And you're like, oh, that's there's nobody there. But that's OK. You, you have to humor them. But, yeah, it is funny when he always he always reaches back to talk about like trickle down economics. That doesn't work, man. And it's like we're not really talking about this anymore. It was like the Somerset speech he gave in Massachusetts where he was talking about a coal-fired plant that was no longer – it was literally a fucking parking lot with trash in it. It was a weird backdrop. But he was like, you know, who's talking to these people that want to rebuild the coal-fired plants? Like, no one. No one in that fucking town wants to do that. They just don't want it to be a fucking wind turbine. Like, it was like, yeah, no one here wants that. We're not going to do it. We're going to build wind turbines. It's like, No. We, we don't want just one turbines. We want natural gas. Um, di- did you think that when Pelosi's flane, plane was going to, over to Asia, they considered the flotation devices on her plane as a way to uh, survive any sort of uh, <laughs> incoming missiles? Uh, I saw so there was a great meme. I think it was uh, Richard Harambe. He said, uh, Pelosi's planes showing up on Chinese radar. It, it, it's just like two, two sort of transpire bright green boobs like showing up, and it just I just cracked up in the most childish naked gun way possible. I was just like, oh God, man, isn't there a you, scene in Spaceballs where something like that is happening? Or is you like see the- you like see the Winnebago and you see the jar <laughs> of jam flying across the screen? I think. Um, but yeah. yeah, I just, I, I just started cracking up. Like I was in like eighth grade again when I saw that meme and it's just like someone also said, someone's also said, trust me, Pelosi doesn't need, you know, uh, guide fighter jet. She's, she's, uh, armed with two heavy cannons. <laughs> she's a fembot. She's a fembot from Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah. You know, we're like in a bad place with just like. You know, we're all sitting here defending Pelosi over it. And then also, on the other hand, we're like, yeah, also, good back. Yeah. Yeah. I, you uh, know what? Can you, fault the, <laughs> can you fault the Chinese if they shoot down that plane if they thought there was weapons of mass destruction on it? <laughs> yeah. The funniest, I mean, the funniest thing about this, I mean, she's, there's still, I mean, it's not, the, the Taiwan is not on her travel schedule. I don't think that that means she's not going yet. Um, I don't know how you announce that you intend to go and then don't. And now it's basically the CCP can just tell you, can tell any American official, nope, 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 you're not doing that, nope. And uh, I was just kind of like, you know, she's not, she's not horrible in this department. I mean, people forget that when she went to Tiananmen Square all those years ago and she unfurled that banner about like human rights and then like the Chinese tried to like kid like try to like knock it down and detain her. And they had to have like her fucking secret service guard step in and go, Nope, you're not doing that. And so she's generally okay on this. She's generally not good in her own backyard on it. Um, but I don't, I don't know how you, how you announce that you're going only to have this incredible response from the Biden administration. And I don't know, I look at this in, in a media angle with how, how do you not have the conversation after four years of the fucking Trump Tower meeting between Don Jr. and Oleg uh, Nudnevnashki or whomever the fuck that he met with, uh, which was supposed to be the big meeting where they were digging up dirt on Biden and that led to the Steele dossier and all of this shit. And we can't get a hint of maybe, maybe Biden's actions are being guided with the fact that his son, like, 
borrowed 30 million fucking dollars from the government of China. Can we maybe consider this? Yeah, Just I know. Maybe Miller, he's compromised by China in some fucking way. Like, how is this one not thing, even in the conversation? It's just like, no, no, we're going to talk about Hunter Biden. No, leave, leave him alone. He's a child. Yeah, Miller. One thing that you, one thing that you, your sage advice you give people about AOC is you have to just pace yourself with her. And I learned many years ago. I'm not that much younger than you, but. On when you're on the right, depending on how far you are on the spectrum, um, you just these sorts of things like a two hour conversation with President Xi, Nancy Pelosi potentially not going to Taiwan, the connections between his son and and China and the all the shenanigans like the the media's not going to cover this and it's just not worth get, worth getting yourself worked up about. You just have to go to the ballot box. Yeah, I mean no, I'm not worked up. No, about I know it you're not. Like the media just... the media is going to be dragged kicking and screaming to the Hunter Biden story roughly about this well, time of next year. <laughs> no, no, no. Cuz CNN fucking CNN had an article this week and that and that is showing me that they're potentially going to just stick it to Biden in the midterms because if they're starting to say well, we verify the laptop and it's two years later, like now that they're finally reporting on it, like hmm, timing's pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm not as convinced with that as I am with the spate of pieces coming out from the New York Times and then Washington Post, which were leaked about saying, you know, Biden's losing his house. He's losing control behind the scenes. And we, we really don't know. We want someone else or, or what have you. Um, like CNN doing one laptop story, that kind of makes me think maybe somebody else has the story and they just want to be the ones to, to publish it. Um, the, the measure of CNN is not whether or not they write one fucking story on Hunter Biden's emails that show possible corrupt business connections. It's does that make it to air? Do the writers who wrote that story get on the morning show? Do they get on Jake Tapper's show? And do they do a segment on it? It's five, five minutes, six minutes, what have you. And I, I don't watch CNN, but for, I didn't, I'm generally someone where I would catch that. And I'm generally pretty much in the know with people in media and who find these clips where I'm pretty sure I would have caught that had it happened. You know so, what? I, my takeaway on that from being somebody in the tech industry, my takeaway of them writing that article is just for the SEO juice. Let's put out an article. Let's put out some content so we get some search optimization from it. So when people search Google Hunter Biden laptop, like their top search result. So they're going to suppress the Washington Examiner from an SEO standpoint and CNN will be up there. So I think it's just merely done for, for traffic and just clicks. Well, maybe. Uh, what's your golf tournament tomorrow? Are you part of the LIV? Have you been bought by the Saudis? No, no, just um, just a right wing organization getting together. Oh. oh, okay. So, so a little bit of insurrection. <laughs> yeah, planning our next insurrection. No, 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 no. Just the just the one of those typical get together for no reason tournaments. Like cut a check to some charity. I don't know what it's for. Oh, okay. So you sound enthused. I, I, I'm not going to bed early, and I'm, I don't know what it's for. I'm just going to show up and swing the clubs. I'm, look, I'm looking forward to golfing tomorrow afternoon. You're, you're like the John Daly. You're the John Daly of the call-in audience. Yeah, I'm looking. For, yeah, I'm looking forward to going golfing tomorrow afternoon in Summer, Massachusetts. You can't beat it. All right. All right, brother. I'll talk to you. Cheers, Matt. Um, I'm a little. I'm a little distracted. Oh no, never mind. I thought this was a current clip. Oh, it wasn't. So. I was looking at David Rutz from Fox News, who's formerly Free Beacon, and he's really good. And he had a clip of Shania Twain and Taylor Swift, and 
Kid Rock and Donald Trump. And I thought that this was a, uh, a current clip, like from tonight. So I was watching this go, oh, wait a second. No, I was reading that wrong. Robert, I'm going to try to blow through. I'm going to get to as many of you guys. We'll probably just cut off at Anthony, um, just because that seems like a good to be a hard out. Robert, you're up. Tell me what's on your mind with either the past week or things you're looking forward to and all the wrong reasons for the week. Hit the, uh, if you're there, uh, just hit the unmute button for your mic. It's down at the bottom right next to that, uh, like, cute little thumbs up emoji. I, do, I don't want to have to jettison him because he has this cute little cookie avatar. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you like 15 more seconds and then we're going to get to David. I'm going to boot him. I don't want to be this way on a Sunday night, but I am. David, good to see you again. Uh, what, what's on your mind for this late night shenanigans, drunken degenerate episode for t- for tonight? Wait. Okay. Um, hey, how are you? I'm hoping uh, I did that correctly. Can you hear me, Stephen? Yep, you're good. If you see like a ring around, uh, like your your whatever, then that generally means you're getting picked up. So yeah, I hear you great. Awesome. Um, hey, how are you? I just you know I was. <sighs> Well, something was occurring to me. I wanted to run a hypothetical scenario by you. Just get your take on this. It's kind of asking you to. Yes, yes, I do think China would sketch. shoot Pelosi's plane out of the sky. Yes. <laughs> okay, then I have I have another hypothetical to run by you, Stephen. Uh, and it's about it's about uh, the Fourth Estate. What if just if you take conservative writers, the ones that that you respect and the ones that I, I mean, the Kevin Williamson's, I mean, the, 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 the ones that are doing their jobs without fear or favor off the table. And even the ones that are not conservative, Matt Tahibi, there's a few that are, I think, explicitly impartial or, or as close to impartial as, as a journalist can get. If you take those well-known impartial journalists off the table and just talk about every rank and file member of the fourth estate and, and, and they uh, and and any and they all came into possession. Let's say in a thousand different alternate universes, each one in a thousand different alternate came into possession of very, 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 very compromising information about Barack Obama, our Lord and Savior. You know who they didn't just respect; they venerated. He just because of what he represented. Really, really compromising information about him, like like a and, photo with Louis Farrakhan or something, or ex- yeah, exactly. I mean, something along those lines. I'm I let I'll leave that. I'll make it a Mad Lib. Fill in. I got a pretty blank vivid you. imagination on these things, and as do many of your listeners. Like so I'm, ta- I'm, the, I'm I, talking like 21st hijacker kind of situation I, here. I'm I just t- I'm just saying. I totally get it, and you're. I totally get it. Go, let your imagination run riot. Anyway. Inshallah to my Habibi brothers. I don't know if they're listening, but they're probably <laughs> out there. Okay, so so it's something like that, equally compromising, and they they come in. So if a thousand of these journalists, it just just good, uh, intelligent members of the Fourth Estate, they work for the L.A. Times, the New York Times, Chicago Tribune, it's CNN, et cetera, et cetera, come into possession of this information. What percentage of them? run the story in your opinion zero wow we saw it happen we saw it happen with the new york post i mean right that wasn't even that wasn't even like a compromising story everyone knows about like hunter biden shenanigans i think they really just need to lean into hunter biden they need to make him the 2024 nominee because he is hands down the coolest thing about the democratic party 
Right. So the fact that they act repulsed by him is weird to me. So, you know, Hunter holding a, a gun to a naked Russian hooker's head and playing, you know, sexy roulette or something, that's not something that would shock any of us at this point. So what was interesting about that New York Post story was it wasn't even really that damaging. The reaction to it was for a couple of reasons. One, they traced it back to who they thought was Rudy Giuliani, because Rudy apparently Giuliani was shopping that story to places like Politico and Axios and other outlets, and none of them took it. They just, they all passed on it. So that's how I get to zero, because that's the kind of story where it's like right before the election, October surprise, oh fuck, it's another laptop story, which a lot of journalists think cost Hillary the election. It didn't, but that's what they think. Um, as I've said, the reason why that story got stopped and shopped is no journalist wanted to be the person to write the story about Joe or Hunter Biden that led to another four years of Donald Trump. That is 100% it. Um, I know that for a fact from speaking with people in the know and in some of those outlets and some of those newsrooms, nobody, no journalist wanted to be a pariah. They didn't want to be just, you know, treated like a leper in their workplace of work. And so we saw not only did they not report on it, they physically demanded social media stop spreading the story. So as we know, Facebook, Andy Stone from Facebook, who used to be a Democrat comms guy, and, um, God, I forget the other guy's name. He, there was the other guy who was Kamala Harris's comms guy, uh, who's now rode off into the Twitter sunset. I forget his name. Um, they actually put out saying, we're not going to allow this story to spread on Facebook. We're not going to allow the story to spread on Twitter. If you linked it, your account was blocked. You could not physically link the story. When the New York Post protested, uh, Twitter said, all you have to do is take the story down. And people like Jake Tapper jumped in to defend Twitter and say, look, all I have to do is delete the tweet. What's, what's the problem here? And you didn't see a single journalist stand up. They even blocked Jake Sherman, who I think at the time was Politico, is now Punchbowl News. Um, he tried to share the story, and they, and they suspended his account briefly. And this was, a, this was a D.C. journalist. And so not only did they prevent the story from you trying to read it anywhere on social media, but... You did not have a single named journalist come out and say, well, this is wrong. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, where you're going now is going to lead to so many bad places, which we're seeing today. And a lot with, you know, people like Nina Jankowicz and the disinformation board who labeled it Russian disinformation and all this stuff. And that wasn't even real incriminating news on Joe Biden. The, the incrimination factor is, did he meet with Hunter Biden's partners? Did he have anything to do with Hunter Biden's relationship with Burisma? Did he have anything to do with Hunter Biden's relationships in China? Was Hunter Biden selling access to Joe Biden as the vice president? It's pretty clear that that is, a, is pretty much a mostly hard yes, that that is happening. Um, you had Tucker Carlson covering Tony Bobolinsky and all of this stuff. And then the press just, they, they wrote it off and they said, October surprise or not. We even had Ben Smith who said, this generally shouldn't be run because it clearly is an October surprise. And I, I said to him in a sort of private conversation, I said to him, but it's not your job to not cover something like regardless if it's an October surprise or not, that's, that's. That's politics and media. So if it's a newsworthy story, that's the only thing. But the reason is, is because it's Joe Biden and you, it's Rudy Giuliani and the laptop repair story. 
uh, that's the reason why you guys aren't going near it. And it's if it's true, then you guys are going to look you guys are going to look as bad as you did when BuzzFeed tried to publish the Steele dossier and tried to claim it was no context. We're no, we're just putting it out there because it's newsworthy. No, that's it. And I told him, I said, you're going to tell me that the Steele dossier was newsworthy, but this story is not. And it's not even that the story was newsworthy. It's that the reaction to it, that it was the first time where social media said, nope, they put their thumb on the scale and said, we're not going to allow this on our platform. This wasn't from 4chan. This wasn't from Alex Jones. It wasn't from Milo Yiannopoulos at Breitbart. It's from the New York Post. Yeah, it's a right-leaning newspaper. It's you know a kind of New York-style tabloid. Um, but the story was accurate. And I've argued that they'll never recover from that. And so your hypothetical isn't a hypothetical at all. And if you were around during the Obama years, we saw how it was really the first time where I always said that they tried, they kind of stayed on their meds with John Kerry and just tried to nudge John Kerry over the finish line. They're like, you can be Bush. Bush is a retard. The guy's a hairless ape. Go get him. And they tried to just gently nudge him over the finish line and they failed. And I argued that that's when they went off their meds. And when it was John McCain, you know, another old white neocon who just wants more war and, you know, the uh, Reagan tax cut guy and he's just whatever and he's fucking 80 years old and we can't have that person. Uh, if you were around then, you would understand this is the first time in my life that I saw media use their bylines and the weight of their institutions to go after normal people. A guy goes up and asks Barack Obama about, you know, Joe the taxes and whatever. And yeah, and Obama says to him, I'm, we're just going to spread wealth around, man. By the end of that day, we knew his name was Joe. He was a plumber. You had reporters sifting through his trash, going through his taxes, going through his entire fucking financial history. When all he did was ask a question as an American citizen of a guy running to be his president. And that behavior has continued to this day. We saw it again with a rodeo clown. We saw it with a local GOP operative, I think from Kansas or Nebraska, make a comment on one of the Obama girls' facial expressions at a White House event, and she had to resign from her job and go into hiding. And so maybe you were expecting me to be more nuanced. It's like, what if they found like, real incriminating shit on Barack Obama. What What do you think they would do to, like, do you think they would just suppress it? Well, yeah, they did suppress it. We found a photo of Obama shaking hands with Louis Farrakhan at an event, what, 10 years after or five years after he left office. And the photographer just went, oh, oops, I just had this. I don't know. And you, the fun, we had the um, the famous dinner um, with the guy, oh fuck that! Yeah, I know the LA. The LA Times is sitting on the the sitting photo on, or the yeah, right, yeah videotape. They have a video of right, the dinner. Right, I've heard uh, about that. With uh, yeah. God, Rashid, God, I forget the guy's name. I know, I can't, I'm I can't remember. Old, I'm suffering old man brain. No, no, you're not. The so names are all know, the names we, all run we, together. No, unequivocally that they would do this. Now, would they do it more for someone than somebody else? Like, would they do it more for Obama than Joe Biden? Yeah, of course they would. Um, would they do it for someone like Ocasio-Cortez over someone like, I don't know, who, who's generic Republican who, or generic Democrat that might run for office? Pritzker, I guess. Right. So we know that they would do that. It's not even a hypothetical what the odds are. And if they get caught, they just go, ah, fuck you. What are you going to do about it? And that's really the attitude. It's just like, well, oh, well, 
um, the Hunter Biden thing just moved on and it's they suffered no consequences. They think no consequences for their behavior. They didn't come out and speak up for the New York Post. Not a single one of them. I think I saw maybe one or two of them go hmm, and chin stroke and go, this could lead to some very kind of difficult conversations down the road about press freedoms. and No, most of them just zipped their fucking mouths and they just sat on it because they didn't want Biden to lose the election. And that's pretty much I get that. Let me ask you this, because you're probably right about all of that. But do you think a small percentage, let's say 10 percent of them are deep down yearning to just tell the truth and follow the story wherever it no. leads, but they feel they can't really. Okay. No, because they could do that. <laughs> and that's what they should right. do. That's, that's what, that's what journalists should do. But we know right. that eventually if they're doing that, they're going to get to a point in their story where that leads to somewhere that they believe could empower an ideological enemy. And therefore, uh, we have to either report this differently or spin it. Rebecca Jones in Florida is a perfect example of this, where you had a woman who made a claim. She claimed that she hacked the health data and showed that DeSantis was deflating uh, COVID deaths in the state, right? And she was an important person. She was in the health department or whatever it was. And so a bunch of journalists went and took her story, and she was on CNN by the end of the week. She was on with Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo fluffed her up so big. Now, is Chris Cuomo, you know, investigative journalist du jour? No. He might say he is. He would argue he is. He he gets after it. He's the truth teller, you know, whatever. And so before this woman, before any journalist said, hold on, what is she claiming? She's claiming DeSantis covered up COVID deaths in the state. She's with uh, the health department and she hacked a computer. She has hacked data. All right, we'll take a look at it. Sure, let's look at it. Da-da-da-da. And then we learn that, first of all, she falsified the data. Um, she physically did it, which is how then she, the, the state raided her actual personal computer because she, she hacked into the system uh, against the law illegally. Even that was shown like she was you know, being hauled out of her house and it's, it's frightening and I'm a woman and whatever. And CNN and our media bit on that one as well. And then what we learn after, after the story's out, then they go and do their due diligence on who Rebecca Jones is and the claims that she's made. And, oh, she's got a shady personal history also. And, oh, sh- oh fuck, maybe we should have held off. But they don't because they know if they just least get it out there, then that gets people to pay attention. And you know what? Hey, if it's not completely true after the fact, we'll, we'll figure out a different angle on it. And that maybe now she's just being attacked by a powerful red state governor. So they, they have their excuses already lined up. And like I said, no, I don't. You're, you're, coming, you're coming at this from the actual definition of journalism, which is, you know, you have a story, you have a claim. If it's investigative, you do. You follow it to where it leads. And you know what? There are people like that. I would argue... The people, the, the people most likely to do that today are documentarians. And even then, eh, some of them are, you know, whatever. But um, most of those people aren't really investigative journalists at places like the Washington Post anymore because they just don't have a need for that anymore. So, no, I don't, I don't think that they are just out there to be non-ideological. I think that their workplace demands that, that they be ideological. Places like New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, Chicago, CNN, MSNBC, NBC, and, and even Fox uh, to a certain extent. 
Um, there are certain reporters that I trust, and there are certain reporters who are accurate and ones that I do think get things right. And some are on the left and some are on the right. It's the ones who try to uh, obfuscate what they're doing and saying, no, 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 that's not me. I'm honest. I'm just shooting you down the line here. And those are the ones that generally you see me pick on a lot. I, if you see my Twitter feed, I very uh, seldom go after, in, in an argumentative way, I very seldomly go after progressive reporters from progressive outlets. Unless it's just to laugh at them. But even then, uh, I don't mind open uh, ideological honesty. No, no, I don't mind punditry, uh, but I, you know, uh, I, editorializing is fine as if it's explicitly an editorial. But people that <clears throat> cloak themselves in the mantle of uh, drape themselves kind of in, in the cloak of journalism and then go out and do nothing but editorialize and promote and advance a specific agenda—that's not journalism. That's advocacy, and that's a that's a different thing. So, all right, I uh, that was I'm I'm a little bit more dispirited now than i was 15 minutes ago but i appreciate well, as always the insight yeah, the good news the good uh, news is, is tomorrow's monday so <laughs> oh my lord You're okay. uh, all right so time uh time to 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 find uh an open bar you rock sir thanks uh so much again great talking to you thanks david this is Take why care. this is why you should have a bar at your home <laughs> it's good advice thank you Cheers. sir we'll go through samuel and anthony and then we'll we'll call it we'll wrap it up tonight Samuel, what's your non-doomerism before you get into what you want to do? What's your new non-doomerism that you that you see going around? I would just point to the I don't I don't really even remember what poll it was, but there was poll numbers that dropped today about Latino um, trends, and it's like forty six, forty three Democrats, so within the margin of error. So I mean, if if, if Latinos are within five percent nationally in November. It's going to be a bad wave. It's going to be forty plus seats. You know, something, winning all something I something I something I found interesting is I saw GOP. I saw the story, and maybe you know more about this than I do. Where they said they're they're starting to move money out of Pennsylvania into what is it, Utah and Colorado, and I saw a bunch of pundits laugh at moving money into Colorado for O'Day against Bennett. And I've looked at that and I, and I know people in Colorado and I looked at that and I just went, why this feels like one, they're going to be sitting there on election night and I'm not a prognosticator, but based on things that I've seen and heard, O'Day has a real chance of taking out Bennett on election. And it feels like one of those races where, you know, they're going to be sitting there on MSNBC or CNN going, how did we even lose Colorado that night? Uh, I thought that that was an interesting story that they, they act like the GOP is just, bereft and having to give up Pennsylvania and the desperation of uh, moving to Colorado and like literally I think it was Pod Save America bros going they're going they're going to pour money to Colorado and I was kind of just like yeah because I've heard different from a lot of people who think that that is almost an up for grabs race yeah I would uh that story to me was a little bullshitty and just the they're taking away many money from Pennsylvania the read I got from people I follow that I trust is that it's kind of just a uh, scare tactic for Oz as in a you need to get your shit together um, kind of thing. Um, but even then, you know, there's all these stories of where's Dr. Osben? Where's Dr. Osben? And granted, yeah, he's not been on TV, which is not great. And again, that kind of comes down to fundraising. But basically what everything I've actually seen and read up on is that he has been doing campaign stops, in-person events and stuff. 
and it's just not gotten much media attention. Um, but to me, that's just more of a kind of a scare tactic to get your shit together that they're not actually going to take money out of Pennsylvania because that, you know, that's your, one of your best pickup or holds actually. But yeah, the Colorado one, I think depending on the size of the wave and if the wave is as big as I think it's going to be, that's one where it's going to be painfully close one way or another. Um, Bennett's a weak incumbent. You know, he ran for president, if you remember that. Um, but he uh, is just kind of a really, I don't even know if I'd call him a generic Dem. He's kind of a less than generic Dem. He just kind of sucks. Nobody really likes him. Um, and I've seen some uh, ads O'Day's put out that have been pretty good. And I think he built himself as like the Republican Joe Manchin. And to me, that's not the worst pitch. And if you can steal a Senate seat in Colorado, even though this guy's going to piss you off every once in a while, it, it's worth the money to invest in that race. It'd just be like another Susan Collins, yeah, which you know what? He's, I guess, O'Day's pro, he's pro-choice on some things. And, uh, I mean, but that's the way that Colorado's going. So uh, I guess I look at it that way and just be like, yeah, he's, you're going to pull your hair out over this dude. But, you know, at least you don't have, I mean, the way Colorado's headed towards the way of Washington or uh, Oregon, uh, at least you don't have one of those dudes in there. So I yeah. just, I, I, I always have to pick your brain on your question of the day on your polling of the day, <laughs> whether you well, want to talk about it or not keep getting more polling as we get closer. Um, so hopefully we'll have a better idea, but I think I saw a CBS poll as well today. That was like, it had like the, the Republicans gaining 19 seats at two thirty. which I mean, again, they're, they're very conservative in their estimates, but that would be a bad night for Dems, you know, if they lose 19 seats in the House. And that's what CBS is saying today. So I I don't see this. Like I said, I, I'm fighting against the doomerism as best I can because I think we're all going to – they'll still blow a race or two. They shouldn't. But I think we'll all be pretty happy on election night overall. If you're a Republican, I mean. If you're a Democrat, <laughs> you probably won't. Or, or a filthy libertarian. Oh, it's just another another night to cry. <laughs> but uh, the one story, or not really even a story, it's a tweet. So David Axelrod has his moments of lucidity. He's still stupid and hackish, but he's every once in a while he says something that's like you know not completely moronic. So he sent out this tweet uh, a couple days ago. D- David Axelrod is going to be like uh, never Sean Penn in twenty twenty eight. He's going to be one of those guys who ends up like moving to the the soft right because the the Democrats nominated Sean Penn for president or something. That's who yeah, he's going to like, be. I don't. He's like, going to be like the next Carville. I don't like him, but they the Democrats would be much better off if they listened to him more. They listen than they listen to these other crazy people. But he tweeted in a way: the president is the victim of his own expansive expectation setting. He's quietly amassing a record of historic wins on infrastructure, guns, and manufacturing, and now maybe drug pricing, climate, and energy. Not a new deal, but a pretty damned impressive in a 50-50 Congress. And in a way, I think he has a point where, okay, so let's just ignore the economy for a second, even though that's the primary concern. He's right. You know, they did pass BIF on infrastructure. They did pass a quote-unquote guns bill, even though it really you know, okay, provided funding for red flag laws. Otherwise, it was pretty much just what Republicans wanted. Even if you're against it, which I probably wouldn't have voted for it, 
but I don't, it's not the worst thing that could have been done for sure. And, you know, this uh, drug pricing, climate and energy, we'll see what cinema has to say. But let's even say he gets that done. So obviously, you know, the economy is in shambles and that's what most people are focused on. But I think what's important to point out here is David is saying this Axelrod, you know, he, he, he messes over at CNN stuff. How much has CNN, CNN covered Biff, the infrastructure deal? How much have they really, you know, covered uh, the gun bill other than when it got passed? You know, this manufacturing supposed wins. You know, the, how much is the White House touted Biff? That's what I always said. The thing was, when they passed Biff, they were also trying to do BBB, Build Back Better. So they passed Biff, and then they just completely went past it and continued to focus on BBB. They never once went around the country touting these infrastructure upgrades that they were doing. And it's like they're, they're, he's right in that they're a victim of his own ex, ex, expansive ex, expectation setting. But they're also a victim of not, you know, out there touting their victories. I mean, and I, I do think that Biff was something that Republicans did a good move in giving him because I do think if they hadn't done that mansion would have signed off on the five trillion or four trillion or and it would have been much worse, even though I still hated Biff, but they weren't even out here like celebrating that win. He did like one press conference. He did the signing and that was it. We've not heard why, from it. Again. Why, why do you think that is? Cause I think I have a very, very simple explanation for that, but why do I you mean, think that might be? I would say they're scared of their own base. And do they really want to celebrate I, it? I have these- something even dumber than that. And it might <laughs> be, it just might be my trollish nature because <laughs> you have a 79 year old president who doesn't handle road trips very well. Uh, that's, that's a fair point. But if they you have- notice what they do with him, they fly him to a location. He goes out and he gives a 20 minute speech and then he flies back. He never, you're right. Like presidents like Clinton was, kind of famous for this and even bush did this a lot where they go out and they go on a road trip they go five six cities and then you know they'll do like a west coast swing where they'll go to los angeles and you know sacramento and then portland and then whatever and then they'll hold hold a fundraiser so it's all written off or something so and obama did that a lot too but that's just because obama hated being in the white house but I, I I really think that that has a lot to do with it. It's just like he doesn't have the wherewithal to, to do that kind of thing. He just – he's an old guy who just, you know, sure, put me in the plane, but I want to be back in my own bed at the end of the night. I'm not sleeping in one of them hotels, Jack. Um, the, other, the other thing, my other stupid, overly simple explanation for why they, they're not able to tout those accomplishments is because this is an administration whose messaging is run by Twitter – and I'm sorry, but Biff does not sell on Twitter. That's well, not that's, that's not what pe- gets people interested. And I think that that, and it's not the White House; it's the comms. The comms department is run by Twitter. It's run by what they see on Twitter. It's run by the tweets they see and what reporters are talking about and whatever. And so, in a certain way, you you can give them credit for saying, "Well, you know, it's a communications failure," but it's just not. It's just not something that is sexy when you start to sell yourself as FDR. And I think it was Charles Cook who said, I can't imagine Joe Biden coming in thinking he's an FDR with, you know, he wasn't given a mandate. For the most part in the 2020 elections, his party got creamed. He won, but that, you know, Donald Trump shenanigans really overshadowed a lot of the disastrous elections from that night. And so the idea that he comes strutting in thinking he's FDR 
minus the wheelchair is was always kind of an anomaly. It was weird, and I think and I agree with him on that. Like, no, you came in with a divided Senate, and you should have tapered back some of your shit. But again, you know that's what he's going to have to live with. He, he he shot for the fences, and now we're all dealing with that fallout. Well, yeah, I totally agree with that. But like my point about the activist left is like. So Biff, you know, it wasn't the five trillion that they wanted, and they still technically haven't passed BBB, even though this bullshit climate energy bill is, you know, related to BBB, even though it's way scaled down. But they didn't get what they wanted on infrastructure. They didn't get what they wanted on guns. You know, they didn't like the the gun bill. I think the left hated the gun bill more than the right did, which is saying something, you know, because they didn't take away uh, assault rifles or, you know, quote unquote assault rifles. They didn't, you know, do anything about, uh, you know, magazines, any of that shit. So like, I think that they're, they're scared to tout even some of the things they did because it doesn't please, you know, it didn't please AOC, even if it was something, but it's just like, you know, he's right. Then in a 50, 50 Congress, Republicans have probably ended up giving more, I mean, they've definitely given up more ground than a Democrat 50-50 Senate would have ever given to President Trump. I mean, that's just objectively true. They fought him on everything. And like I said, I do think McConnell, you know, you can hate him all you want. And that's what he's there for. He's there to take all the knives in the back to protect the party. You know, you can hate him. And I get some of that. But like, I think some of the concessions he made were to give Manchin and Cinema, you know, cover to do what they were doing and scale down how bad this really could have been. But there, you know, it's just, I, I do think it, a lot of it's comms and yeah, maybe Biden doesn't have to go out to rural Ohio and tout it, but he has surrogates. He could get Tim Ryan to go out there and speak on his administration. Not now because he's running away from Biden, but yeah, I was going to say, good luck on that one. Yeah. But he could have, <laughs> back in, you know, they passed Biff in like summer of 2021 he could have sent Tim Ryan out there when he was launching his campaign to tout it. And he didn't. And nobody cares about Biff now. And it's just like, you know, now now he's known for uh, inflation and, you know, the recession because we are in a recession. And that's their own damn fault. I don't really feel bad about that at all. I see what you're saying about Axelrod. He, he does have his, like you said, his lucid moments and... The thing I get from him is he he does seem to be like the kind of guy trying to trying to maintain sanity for his party in a way. But like I said, he's he's gonna he, David Axelrod's gonna be like Charlie Sykes in six years. You know, he's gonna he's gonna be the the never the never pen uh, Democrats who, who who vote for I don't know who would be who would be the moderate Republican equivalent of. Who would be the moderate Democrat equivalent of Mitt Romney in in six years, hypothetically? Oh. Trying to think, that would that would be a presidential person, really. Yes. Nationally, yeah. Oh my god! I mean, be, we, we could argue cinema, I guess. In that Tim in that Ryan, sense. Tim Ryan, for- yeah. Um, he already did. He, he did too. He's another one who ran for president in twenty twenty. Yeah. yeah. So I mean. There's that's how I always think of like Axelrod. He's going to be like the next James Carville, 
Um, the funniest thing about like James Carville is he's been like this voice of reason all of a sudden. If you were around in the nineties, that guy was just known as just the biggest fucking political douche that was around. Like the shit that that guy pulled, he's famous for, you know, the Paula Jones dragging a dollar through a trailer park to, uh, to describe Paula Jones about Bill Clinton's accusers. And the funniest thing is like, he's just been like the guy screaming can you fucking people just be normal well like kamala harris doing her pronouns you could just see him just like seeing a vein pop out of his skull over that shit and then they ask him about what do you think about democrats propping up extremist gop candidates he's like oh i'm fine with that and i was just like well there you went james like all of that goodwill you did but yeah axelrod's similar to that and you see them on that same kind of trajectory to where they're, they're going to be like, you know, Obama was the sane one and all the Republicans hated him kind of thing that we're on with Romney. And so, yeah, David Axelrod will be like the never Sean Penn Democrat trying to pull his party back from insanity as, you know, as he picks. I don't know. At, at this point, he picks Rachel Dozal as his running mate or whatever. Yeah. Last thing I'll say is, of course, James Carville hates Kamala Harris. He's a white Southern Democrat. Of course he hates her. <laughs> Or, or many other, like, that's a color. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it, it is, it, it is funny. And, and like I said, you should read Charles Cook if you haven't already on what he, I think he gets Biden right on this, which is, you know, especially with the media came in, you know, post COVID, this is gonna be like the post depression and he's the new FDR. And then it was like, dude, he's, he, he can barely pass his shit with one vote in the Senate. That's not FDR guys. Um, and so, yeah, there's a little bit of truth to that, but the other part of it is he's just, he's just a bad president. He's, he's exactly who we knew. Those of us who've been paying attention to who Joe Biden is for 20 years when they elected him, they, they, he was sold by the media and by other people as the sage old wise, you know, lion in winter who will bring calm to the country. And that's why some of us who, you know, not a fan of Trump, could never go over there because we were just like, this dude is going to just fucking drive us into the ground. We just know it. Well, and, yeah, and here we are. So we're paying for it. Yeah. He's done a good job. So props to him. Uh, <laughs> you know. he's, he's done a good job on things that we knew he would do a really good job on doing, which is crapping the entire U S economy, which was already in recovery oh, post COVID. Just like RBG is a champion of the pro-life movement. Yeah. Joe Biden is a champion of the Republican movement because I can't imagine too many people doing a better job than him. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to be something to see on election night. It's, we have two, three months to it and they, I think they can write all of the Biden's on the comeback. He's bouncing back and we're going to see how many Senate candidates want to be seen with him. So yeah, have a good night. All right, man. It's good to hear from you, Samuel. We'll wrap it up with Anthony. We're going a little bit short tonight. So we're only over by 15, so we'll go. Anthony, it's Sunday night. We're all a bunch of degenerates up, still talking on our phones. Uh, send us off into, into the night, and hopefully we can have all the bad things happen to us this week. Am I going to get to go? Am I getting off work early tonight? Anthony, in case if you're still listening, you haven't figured it out, there's a little icon at the bottom there. It looks like a microphone. Just hit that to unmute. Can you hear me now? There he is. Uh, I was ready to go home early. I was ready to punch the clock. Go ahead, Anthony. All right. Well, let's end the way you always begin, uh, talking about dogs. I felt bad about your dogs this week. Uh, no, he just – it was funny because I just – I took him in for 
like an allergy shot. And then they found like they, and they, they come back and they said that, well, he has a lump. And I went, Oh, what the fuck? Like you don't say, and it turns out it was just like a, they showed it and there's a papilloma wart that, uh, they just were like, do you want us to just lop this off? It doesn't look serious. I didn't think it was cancerous. Uh, so I was just like, you know, I, I, one of my other Frenchies had one. So I'm like, okay, let's just do it. Um, that's just, that comes, it comes with having a vanity gremlin and not like a real dog. Um, so, but no, nah, they, they, they're fine. He's doing fine for, for a change. Yeah. And I have a Yorkie that was the run to the litter. So nobody ever wanted to take care of her. So we've had the dog for, I guess she's like nine, almost 10. And I had to take her in for teeth cleaning. And I'm like a OCD dentist. So I feel awful that she had to lose five teeth. I was like, can I, can I do anything about that? So and now you know, and now you know how it feels on the pocketbook, Anthony. You know how <laughs> That's right. curse you people. Yeah. My, my other, my, my first friend, my girl is also the runt. And then she just has big dog complex. Now she has complete Napoleon complex. She'll take on a fucking bear. If she sees it, like she wouldn't even care. Um, but yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting that point with her. She's like, she'll be seven next in a few months. And so I'm getting to that, you know, great. I'm going to have to extract those teeth. God damn it. But at least now, you know, our pain, Anthony. Yeah. And her pain, she has sutures and got to give her some pain meds, but is she, is she, is she going to, is she going to have the tongue hanging out of the mouth now because of the no teeth? Uh, I think there's a good, you know, 15, 20 teeth there still. So they say she should be fine. Um, you know, I I think what kind of, what kind of dentist are you? Why couldn't you just take care of those yourself? If I can only sedate dogs, I could do anything, you know, I'd be fine. I just can't sedate dogs and I can't brush your teeth. So I feel like a total failure. Maybe the next dog I'll... I mean, you technically could sedate. It's just a question of the results in the end. (laughs) Or what you use. I mean, I'm just saying. To say you'll never never be able to do it with that attitude, Anthony. You need to get a better attitude on these things. I need to nut up on that. Just get it done. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a Hispanic. I've been conservative my whole life. And I'm down in South Texas, which... uh, uh, Catholic also. So I, all, all of this shifting. Our, me, like, our media is discovering there are quite a few of you, actually, right. all of the sudden. But, yeah, I don't know what it takes for people to convert their minds. It just blows my mind that they are converting. Like my home county flipped 20 points to Trump. And I never believed it. Why, all my why, do, you think, why do you think it is based on what you see, based on you talking to people just what you see around the community is it the economy is it uh, is it the latinx is it uh just kind of being culture explained to you what what is your honest like what is your honest breakdown of why you think that's happening um from my friends that i talk to which are admittedly pretty conservative already it's really the economy because our way of life revolves around oil and then if not oil like military bases you know so whenever something's hitting that it hits everybody's pocketbook like you know people are noticeably you know less happy if um they're doing some regulation to where you can't frack or some kind of uh slowdown to where you know they shut things down people aren't happy at all and uh all of this mess with the border people are really upset with that too why why would a 
community that you're living in, which you said is mostly Hispanic, Catholic, family-oriented, whatever, why would they be upset at more Hispanics coming over the border? Not, I'm, I'm putting that as just as bluntly as I can. Not, not that whatever, but why? What? There's this thing in our media that just they seem to act like, well, no, it's just more of you. It's more of you. Like, why? Why would you not like this? So why? Why would? Why would that be an issue that's being raised where you are? Yeah, well, you know, right or wrong, you know, Trump was right about you know not sending their best. They're they're sending the you know there there are the cartels that kind of run things and they're bringing all the drugs you know it's it's uh all that fentanyl and all of these harsh opioids even just regular marijuana and you know finding truck fulls of illegal aliens that are just burnt to death because you know the the border patrol finds them and they just, the drivers just cut and run and not it's yeah they're they're looking for a better life but there's really bad people that are bringing them across and they're just dying and drugs you know they weren't sending their best what can you say it was right anthony the white house says that the border is secure and closed would you agree with that yeah closed like uh like a you know a revolving door (laughs) like like a cloth um no i just i like i said i like talk this is one of my favorite things about this platform is i like talking to people who we're seeing in media and um there there's we, we see this thing like, like they're talking about Latinos flipping over the GOP like they're like an alien species. And no, I don't mean that kind of alien. They, they don't know how to even talk about them. Like they're, it's so it's, it's funny because I'm using words like alien and foreign and that's not what I mean. But it's like such a, it's a foreign topic to them to be able to go and, and like talk to someone just like you and just go, hey, so why is this happening? Like, what do you think is, is the border shut down? It's like whatever. They have, they're completely at a loss at, at how to even address this. They just go, well, this is happening, and we don't know why. The one excuse we hear, and this is, this is another one I want from you, is that we heard in Florida was that the Cuban and Hispanic population in Florida was simply, they got, they were, they got misinformed. They were, a, they, were the, they were the victims of misinformation, which is why they weren't able to vote the certain way. And we saw this from several media. I think it was NBC was the big one that said that it was Hispanic communities in Texas and Florida who they were tricked into voting. They were tricked into supporting like Republican candidates, which is why some of these places flipped. So, um, Anthony, will, will you just kind of let us know if you or people around you in your communities were tricked or are, are you actually a, a sentient being with individual agency capable of making these decisions? Well, right. It's the, you know, soft bigotry of low expectations, uh, that complex of the the upper, uh, you know, middle class white lady syndrome that they see themselves as a savior and that no one can make decisions for themselves. You know, I, I've, I went to college, I went to graduate school, all that fun stuff, but I ultimately work for all the blue collar folks. I work for people that are just hurting and people are the same. They all have the same wants and needs. And it's odd that they would just assume that because they're up high and mighty, there must be better than everybody. You know, there's a lot more wisdom to life than just getting papers on a degree and then asking for other people to pay for them later on. Yeah. And I was also, I mean, and if you've heard me on podcasts, I've never been like a huge 
border wall hawk or anything like that. I, I kind of said during the 2016 election, we should have like Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio down there speaking Spanish with voter rolls and hot coffee. Um, and this is always, to me, it's always been the biggest flaw with the, the political right point of view with, you know, I guess less immigration down there, what have you is, I've always looked at it instead because the whole argument from like the Ann Coulters and Pete, the Mark Levins is that, you know, they come here and they are automatically democratic voters are automatically Democrat supporters. And my attitude has always been, well, if you treat them that way, then yes, they will be. Um, and I've always kind of said that th- that presents a flaw in your ideology, which is if you think that you're right, and I think we'd be hard-pressed to find people who always think that they're right other than Mark Levin and then Coulter and people of that nature, then you should be able to win these people over. And you should, Because I think, like you said, it, it really is, it's kind of, it, it is about a better life. It is about being part of this. Um, I, I agree that there is a process, but I also agree that the process is completely fucking flawed at this point. Um, and so I always looked at that and said, and you can kind of either rebuke me or you can, you know, certainly add on to what I'm saying. But I always kind of looked at that and said, I feel like you're writing off generations of people for the wrong reasons. Because if you do think that you're just and you do think you're right, and if you do think you have the right policies that can help people like this, then they should navigate to you. They should be attracted to those things, in which case writing them off as like people who just want to come here to freeload seems like a flawed theory to me. And so that's kind of how I always looked at it. And, and yeah, I, 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 I 100% agree with, um, again, it's so with, with the amount of, like you said, fentanyl coming over and just the crime and everything like that. When you get down to it, people who live in communities like yours down on the down in, you know, South Texas or West Texas or wherever or Mexico, they ultimately want the same things. And I think that that really, like you elaborated on, has is a bigger explanation for this than possible. And the funniest thing about that is our media is kind of at a loss in that case. They can't just write it off as misinformation. They, if they start reporting on why communities like yours are shifting, like you said, you've never seen it this way before. If they start reporting on the truth of why that's happening, then they have to admit that they have a problem and that the Democrats in particular and Joe Biden have a problem and they can't do that. Right. Like the creek behind my house growing up, when, you know, when I was a kid, they would just let us out. And I'm, you know, almost 40. So I'm old enough to, you know, to have a different reality than what people have. Like we would just walk to our school. We'd build our own ant farms. We'd just, you know, eat eat crawdads and minnows out the random ponds that we find and, you know, kind of living backwards. And as you're growing up, you start seeing needles around. You start seeing um, used condoms in the the same places that you built forts in. It's disgusting. All that, the people see all this change and they want to keep it where it was. And some of that isn't able to be changed. So people are trying to fight for what they built and trying to keep that. And um, so maybe maybe that's... um, why you know we see all of the law enforcement people here a majority of them are hispanic it isn't like the evil border patrol whipping people are just white guys most of those guys are hispanic themselves whereas and they're trying to you know keep our side as safe as it can be uh a guy named Giancarlo sopo is a he's a pr consultant uh his aspiring cinephile Made in the United States uh, with, I believe, is Cuban parts. Says, 
Um, he has some interesting polling data here. And see, I just you can just confirm this or you can elaborate on it. it says, uh, to summarize, here are three reasons why Hispanics are shifting to the right. He says this is in no order. Um, he cites someone named uh, Daniela Alvarez, who's the communications director for the GOP. This is interesting. She's she's Cuban-American, and she's the she's the GOP comms director. And you don't hear anything about this person. She's not. I mean, you don't hear the media trying to reach out for her. And I'm thinking it could be something that simple that she just says, hey, hey, here's how you need to start talking to these communities. He says, two, economics. Hispanics are upwardly mobile. They don't buy inequity nonsense. Um, I, I would agree with that. Just in my history in service industry, as, as you may or may not know, but people on my podcast, I worked in a hotel for five years and I managed a housekeeping staff and I loved them. Um, I took care of them because I knew they were the hardest working people in, in, in hotel. And also they could fuck you over if you're bad to them. <laughs> it's just like short sheet, the bed or whatever. Um, they also said three cultural, uh, no somos woke. He says uh, some more on the economic factors. It's important to understand that Hispanic experience, major declines in poverty, 2010 to 2019 concurrently Democrats shifted their messaging from pro growth to inequity. He says Hispanics are upwardly mobile. The inequity framework, it just doesn't appeal to us. So given those things, elaborate on that or see, would you agree with those kind of uh, those talking points? Right. That's that's how you were raised. You were raised to work. You know, you can't just be lazy. You have to work no matter if it's just working your and not and not blame some specter of white supremacy from 300 years ago. Right. Like a lot of the Hispanic culture, kind of like the mom or the grandma is mostly in charge of everything because the dad's out working. So mom's helping raise the family and she makes sure that you stay in line because you have to be raised right. You know, you're not going to be lazy. You have to pull your own weight the way, you know, because they didn't have that whole education. You know, they got maybe eighth grade education if that. And so it was instilled upon, you know, you got to work you got to get your education because that's the only way it's going to be uh ever since we were little kids that's how it was the way to go my dad as a rebellion got a phd that he never really used <laughs> so me i had to one-up him and, and kind of stay at that same type of degree and you know by dumb luck or whatever it's you know it's brought our family into to you know the upper middle class life but uh even so we're you're just always taught to work. It's not an option to be lazy. Now, I mean, I do have family members that have never worked in their life and it irks me that, that it's like that because nothing's a hundred percent. But even my, my, my brother that has never worked a day in his life, he's still talking about all the lazy liberals and (laughs) that he should still be voting for, for Republicans, you know? Huh? That's interesting. Um, anything else as we, as we get to like, as we, as we, as we kind of get to a wrap up here, anything else on your mind, you, you're, you, can't, the, you can't, you can't be one upping your dad that much. You don't even know how to remove your dog's teeth. That's true. The, well, just because I'm so Texas centric, um, did you hear that? Uh, I guess I should call him Beto. Beto's all his, his staff decided to, to unionize, to show solidarity for the cause for the rest of their campaign. So they're going to get paid family leave for the campaign that ends in uh, yeah about three or four months. <laughs> yeah, I didn't he- I didn't hear the Beto staff did this partic- specifically, but I I mean this is what's happening with 
uh, camp like Bernie. This was the I think this started with Bernie's presidential campaign, not his first one in 2020, where uh, yeah, they were asking for paid leave and paid time off and whatever heading into September. And again, we, we see how that works. It works about as well as, as unionizing works in other workplaces. I would just love to see the Beto campaign strike for harsh working conditions from Beto, or maybe they see their unsafe working conditions by looking at Klobuchar's record of beating up staffers. I don't know where, where this comes from. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and you're probably going to see more of this and it's going to be real interesting to see how that actually plays out uh, as this becomes more mainstream, because you do see a lot more and more stories of like of businesses unionizing. I think it was, I don't know if it was Starbucks uh, or something, but a Starbucks tried to unionize, I think in New Hampshire or Delaware or one of those two or one of those like, Upper East, East Coast states, and they just closed the store instead. They just like, no, nah, store's closed. <laughs> I mean, I hate corporate like bullying like that. But on the other hand, I'm just like, oh well, that's what you guys are gonna get. And then, of course, we just saw Vox, Vox Media, uh, who I've talked about. Uh, they they unionized back in June, and now they just laid off 40 people. And then the union comes in and says, well, you need to rehire those people. It's like, we don't have money to do that. Sorry. Okay, see you later. Um, but it is going to be interesting to see, especially maybe in probably the 24 news cycle, how many of those Democrat presidential campaigns unionize. And like you said, yeah, it's like they'll, they'll ask for workers leave and time off and all of that stuff. And it's like, no, we need to phone banking. It's like, no, I can't. And by the way, you misgendered me. So yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be one of those interesting snake eating the tail kind of things. I'll take one Scott Pressler over 200 unionized staff, you know, call in on phone banks, you know, he'll get more done than that. You know, that's just the, the conservative way. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. How many points, how bad is Beto going to lose Texas, Anthony, to wrap up tonight? Oh, well, he he came close to Ted because Ted was like two points, the, the final victory. But that same night, Greg Abbott beat him by like five or six million votes. So I'm, I'm thinking it'll be 52-48, you know, just because it's going to be close and the Dems will come out. Uh, but I could also see it going a total you know, blowout because he's beaten all his guys by double digits, but Trump only won by like seven points. So if it's, if it's uh, anywhere from four to seven points, I'll be more than happy with that. Okay. Well, we're going to blame you if that doesn't happen now. So <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just warning you. So Anthony, it's good to hear from you. I, enjoy, I like I said, I, I enjoy hearing stories like this from just anyone who just like sheds lights on things that were not told or told differently. And especially, I mean, this is such a fascinating topic. Um, especially, I mean, locally for local politics for you, just uh, way more than on a national level, but also just the national trend. Um, I think it was Ben Dominic who had a great line. We said the, the Democratic Party traded you know, white Instagram moms for uh, Hispanic voters or vice versa or whatever. And I, th I think that there's probably a lot of truth to that. So uh, keep, keep me posted on what you see going on around there and, and, and what you hear when you talk to people. And uh, certainly it'd be fascinating to see on election night. So if, if we decide to do one of these on election night, which we might, um, uh, please do try to call in and uh, we'll see if we can go over some of this more. But yeah, it's just a fascinating topic and, and I love hearing uh, from you, from your from your part of the woods down there. I would love to gloat a third time for Beto, the hat trick of L's. 
I'm, I'm so ready for that. Just to take go down the MSNBC place. gig, dude. Just take the gig, man. Just let it go. It's not going to happen. Let it go. So, all right, man. It's good. It's good Honestly, to hear from you, Anthony. Cheers. Good luck to your. Good luck to your putt. Thanks. Yours too. All right, everyone. Well, we went over 30, but that always happens. So, yeah, this is just episode 30, getting the week started off all wrong. Uh, so, again, a couple things to watch this week. Obviously, Pelosi's trip. Uh, Mansion is one to watch. Obviously, Kirsten Cinema is one to watch. Naughty in, in all of this. You can imagine uh, if she decides to not go along with any of this, one of my heads is going to explode. So that's one of the things we need to keep uh, just keep watching on as well. Uh, I'll be back on Versus Media Tuesday. Uh, I may also do another one of these Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, before I jet off to Seattle for a few days. So uh, I'll probably do a little bit more notice, but keep in touch with that. So again, I'll be back on Patreon Tuesday to start off the new month. So again, thanks everyone for for showing up tonight. You you degenerates, you unemployed degenerates out there, half of which are probably inebriated. I'm not, but it's good that you are. Uh, and so thanks again to my callers from some really good stuff tonight. Um, like I said, I, I love the format and just hearing from people and where they are. And I'm always caught off by surprise by a few. So again, thanks to the callers. This has been episode 30. We've done 30 of these already. Um, so we'll see how many we can get in before the end of the year. Maybe we'll do a 50 episode nude spectacular or something. So there, um, I'm Stephen L. Miller. You can also get me at Red Steve's on Twitter, of course. And like I said, uh, I'll be back on Versus Media Podcast Tuesday, but I may fit one of these guys in before the end of the week as well. So tune into that as well. Uh, Cheers. Have a good night, everyone. Try to have a good Monday. See you then.